We're going to begin with a brief announcement. All things new, a conference in October 6th through 7th. That's coming right up this year. Omaha, Nebraska, put on by the Pactum. That's uh, Pat Abendroth, if you didn't know. Uh, Omaha Bible Church, 7940 State Street, Omaha, Nebraska, 68122. You're going to need to get on brushfire.com slash pactum slash pactum conference to register. I think the registration fee is only $25. But if you don't want to pay $25, I've got a raffle coming up that's going to be hosted on Twitter slash X that, uh, or where I'll be giving away two tickets to this conference. Again, that's October 6th through 7th. All things new will be a prophecy conference like no other. Instead of fanciful charts and speculation based upon current events, all things new will be grounded in the sure and eternal promises of Jesus regarding the new creation. So look forward to that. Hopefully you guys can participate in the raffle. Uh, be looking for that. Again, that'll be on Twitter slash X. Cults. Let's talk about cults. In fact, we're just going to talk about Mormonism today. And of course, I can't exhaust everything there is to exhaust about Mormonism. Um, but that's what we're going to be looking at. This is kind of in preparation for a series on the cults we'll be doing at uh, Sunday School at Victory Baptist Church. Uh, starting this Sunday, I'm going to introduce the uh, the series. Um, it'll be moving through uh, various cults, Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, uh, Islam, maybe even post-Vatican I, Roman Catholicism. Uh, and so uh, Christian science, Seventh-day Adventism, and so on. Um, what I would like to do today is I would like to, the first thing I want to say when it comes to Mormonism, a lot of people are under the impression that Mormonism is just a different denomination within Orthodox Christianity. Like, like how we would say, you know, Presbyterians and Lutherans are Christians, though they differ on certain doctrines, ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, and things like that. Um, they may be communion, communions of Christians. Um, they, they find themselves within the broad stream of Christian orthodoxy, even though they differ from us. As, you know, we're Baptists, they differ from us uh, in a few important, significant matters. But yet we would still say that there are brothers, uh, provided they're not, you know, the liberal denominations, versions of those things. Um, Mormonism is not like that. Mormonism is not found within the broad stream of Christian orthodoxy like Lutheranism or Presbyterianism, uh, you know, some branches, I guess, of Methodism, conservative um, Methodism. Uh, that's not Mormonism. Mormonism, and when I say Mormonism, I mean, quote-unquote, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. They're... They may use some of the same vocabulary. They use similar vocabulary. They use uh, our Lord's, you know, formal messianic title, Christ. Uh, they call him Jesus. They say that he's the Son of God, uh, the Son of the Father. They even use the language of the Godhead. Maybe some of them even use language of Trinity. Um, but by those words, they do not mean what Christians have meant for the greater part of 2,000 years. Um, they do not mean what would be substantially taught in the Bible. And uh, they, of course, you know, don't mean what, you know, the creedal statements, the ecumenical creedal statements, Nicene Creed, uh, Apostles' Creed, Athanasian Creed, Chalcedonian uh, <clears throat> definition. Uh, they don't mean what those documents would mean. 
when they outline, uh, creedalize the Christian faith. They mean something very different. So, for example, for Mormons, both the Father and the Son are physically embodied beings, distinct from one another in being, and the Holy Spirit is the only spiritual entity or personage within, they'll use this language, within the Godhead. So, you can get on their website and have a lot of these questions answered, churchofjesuschrist.org. You go to uh, study the scriptures. They have a bunch of resources that will teach you about what they believe. Uh, here's what they believe about God. The supreme governor of the universe and the father of mankind. We learn from the revelations that have been given that there are three separate persons, separate persons, in the Godhead. You know, there's some Christians that talk like that as well. Separate persons. No, they're not separate. They're distinct subsistences of the same essence. But here you have Mormons say there's separate persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> and so on the one hand, they'll use that language, three separate persons in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they'll say that that is learned from Revelation. Then they say from Latter-day Revelation. We'll talk about that here in a moment. From Latter-day Revelation, we learn that the Father and the Son have tangible bodies of flesh and bone, and that the Holy Ghost is a personage of spirit without flesh and bone. And that statement is sourced from uh, Doctrine and Covenants, uh, chapter 130, uh, verses 22 through 23. Doctrine and Covenants was authored by Joseph Smith. Actually, it was wrote uh, Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon probably brains behind a lot of this. Um and in, in that text, uh, Doctrine and Covenants, uh, 130, verses 22 through 23, it says, The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the Son also. But the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. Were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. A man may receive the Holy Ghost, and it may descend upon him and not tarry with him. Okay, so... When we're talking about what makes a Christian a Christian, we're, we're obviously talking about we have to have reference to the God Christians worship. One of the ways in which I'm going to identify you as my brother is whether or not you and I worship the same God. And if we don't worship the same God, uh, if we don't worship God according to the knowledge and truth we've been given through the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, 66 books of the Protestant canon, all that, then we, 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 cannot, we do not find fellowship with one another. We are uh, substantially different from one another. We can't have the same church together. We can't even be both said to be Christians. A Christian is someone who follows Christ. Christ just is the eternal Son of God, who, in the fullness of time, uh, assumed to himself the fullness of our nature, right, by way of terminative assumption would be the technical language, but he assumed to himself, Philippians uh, 2, um, that while he was yet in the form of God, uh, he, uh, he took to himself our nature, uh, became, you know, took the form of a bondservant. Uh, and uh, the morphe there in the Greek is is a reference to the nature, you know. The, he took he Christ took to himself a, another nature. So the eternal Son of God 
is one with the divine essence, just is the divine essence, who in the fullness of time uh, assumed to himself the fullness of our nature, a, a complete human nature, save without sin. Um, Christians don't believe that the, you know, there was a, a historical heresy called anthropomorphism, uh, or the anthropomorphites, that believed that God had a celestial body, and that God was, you know, like us in a lot of different anatomical ways, just a, a, a bigger, grander, more, you know, difficult to comprehend version of that. Uh, Mormonism makes the same uh, heretical mistake where they, they first of all have this uh, pluralistic idea of the divine. So uh, they're properly called polytheists, where the father is one divine being, the son is another divine being. Both of them are physically embodied. And then the Holy Ghost is is a personage, distinct being, from Father and Son, and is spiritual exclusively. That's completely different from the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. It's a different, so they're worshiping a different God. The Christian doctrine of the Trinity says that we believe in one God, in accord with Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, uh, that the Lord our God is one. And that through the revelation of the Old Testament and the New Testament together, we discover that uh, that this one God subsists uh, in three distinct relations or modes of subsistence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that what can be said uh, of the Father, what can be said of the Son, can also be said of the Spirit in terms of the divine essence. So if we say that the Spirit is Spirit, right, uh, then we must say that the Father and the Son are spirit. They're the same spirit, essentially. They're one essence, one God, subsisting in three distinct relations. Okay, so at the outset, we have to say that Mormons serve a different God than the God Christians serve. So even though they call themselves Christians, they, they declare that they themselves are the Church of Christ, Latter-day Saints, we have to understand that fundamentally they do not align with the most important article of Christian orthodoxy, which is the doctrine of God and the doctrine of Trinity. You know, when you go back in history and you look at Nicaea or you look at the Athanasian Creed or you look at the Apostles' Creed, you realize that what is confessed in those documents cannot be reconciled one iota with Mormonism. And a lot of what's in explicitly laid down in the scriptures can't be rec reconciled with Mormonism. Uh, and Mormonism, furthermore, admits this. In fact, uh, in different areas throughout their documentation, they will say things like, you know, our, uh, you know, Latter-day Revelation corrected upon older Revelation. Uh, so, for example, um, let me just read this paragraph here. When one speaks of God, it is generally the Father who is referred to, that is, Elohim. All mankind are his children. The personage known as Jehovah in the old, in old Testament times, and who is usually identified in the Old Testament as Lord, in small capitals, is the Son, known as Jesus Christ, and who is also a God. A God, they say. Jesus works under the direction of the Father and is in complete harmony with him. Hmm. Sounds like things that uh, even some Christians would say, that the two persons work in harmony with one another. That's not the doctrine of the Trinity. 
All mankind are his brethren and sisters, he being the eldest of the spirit children of Elohim. Many of the things that the scriptures that the scripture says were done by were done by God were actually done by the Lord Jesus. So they're they're already saying that there's a dis, there's a discrepancy in the elder scriptures. Um, you know, when we're talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a discrepancy there. They're saying many of the things that the scripture says were done by God were actually done by the Lord Jesus, which would impugn some kind of dishonesty or error within the Holy Scriptures. And so they're, they're, they're basically admitting that their Latter-day Revelation contradicts the Revelation that's found in the Bible. Well, if, if we don't have the same standard of divine truth, uh, like if we're willing to say that, uh, you know, the Old and New Testaments are corrupted or that they're dishonest documents that we were lied to through them, uh, then really we have no basis or, or, or foundation for understanding who God is or what his will is in the first place. This is very important stuff. They're, Mormons are extremely different from Orthodox Christians. Thus the scripture says that God created the heavens and the earth, but we know that it was actually the Lord Jesus who was the creator. And, you know, they cite John 1, 3, and verse 10. Or as Paul said, God created all things by Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3, 9. The Holy Ghost is also a God and is variously called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, etc. So you have three gods. This is tritheism, where you have three, not just distinct persons or subsistences, you have three distinct beings and three distinct gods. Let's switch over to the Athanasian Creed, very early Christian creed. And I'll, the Athanasian Creed uh, is fantastic in that the way in which it uh, confesses uh, Trinitarianism, Orthodox Trinitarianism, is uh, uh, magisterial. So it says, now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons, subsistences, nor dividing their essence, they're the same God. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable, the Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal, and yet there are not three eternal beings, there is but one eternal being. So too there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings, there is but one uncreated and immeasurable being. Okay, so similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty, yet there are not three almighty beings, there is but one almighty being. Now, uh, this creed is is named after Athanasius. Um, was it written by Athanasius or not? Athanasius living in the uh, the fourth century, uh, born at the latter uh, in the latter portion of the third century, uh, participated in the Nicene uh, Council, Council of Nicaea, the first Council of Nicaea in three twenty five A D, uh, presided over by uh, Emperor Constantine. You know, uh, one of the things we have to the, the question you have to ask whenever you're dealing with the claims of Mormonism, which are relatively recent, you're talking about 18th, 19th century claims uh, of added revelation and correction of old revelation by new revelation, new revelation coming about through Joseph Smith in the 18th century. One of the questions you have to ask is, 
why did Christians did was it the case that Christians had a false god for almost 2000 years and if you know in terms of discussing with a mormon uh you know their beliefs and how their beliefs are whether or not their beliefs are warranted if Christians had a different god for 2000 years or almost 2000 years uh, at least until the clarity of revelation came through Joseph Smith, um, then did not Jesus fail to build his church? That would essentially mean that uh, the church over the majority of the last two millennia has been apostate. There has been no true church. There has been no bride of Christ. There has been no Christianity. Uh, and there has been no redemption. Because through the greater part of the last two millennia, Christians have had the false have had a false god. That's the implication of the Mormon position and what the Mormon doctrine of God or doctrine of gods would imply. Um, if we look at Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is um, asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Uh, verse 16 of Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is, uh, who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will construct or edify my church, Jesus says. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So are we to believe that following these words of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was a promise to build his church, to keep his church, to maintain his church, not only to maintain it, but build it, are we to believe that within 100 or 200 years of him saying these words, immediately the church stopped knowing who the true God was and started worshiping an idol called the Trinity? You know, uh, that would, number one, be highly unlikely just given the history and the consistency of the confession of the Trinity by the church Catholic. Um, but number two, it would imply that our Lord was wrong, that Jesus Christ was wrong. Um, it would imply that who the Mormons confess to be Jehovah, which they understand Jehovah to be identical with the Son, and we would too, but in a very different sense. Um, it would imply that he was either dishonest or completely ignorant. And if that's the case, then none of the gospel promises, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of the promises recorded from Jesus in those gospel accounts are relevant. None of them are uh, worthy of our attention or trust. Because if Jesus didn't make good on the promise that he issues in Matthew 16, 18, then why should we believe he could make good on any other promise? So the, the chorus of Christian history beginning in the first, second, third, fourth centuries of church history, as reflected not only in the apostolic literature itself in the New Testament, but also in the creedal statements of the early church that all Christians have confessed for the last 2,000 years 
To say that all of that is wrong is to impugn Christ in Matthew 16 as being wrong, as being unable to keep the promise that he would indeed build his church. Because if a church has any meaning at all, if Christianity has any meaning at all, it must have meaning and reference in relation to God, to the God it worships. If it worships an idol, if it worships a God that's not the one true God, the same God that Jesus promised to reconcile us with, then it worships an idol and cannot be termed the one true church. Right? So there's several problems <clears throat> with Mormonism, uh, problems with Mormonism that prevent it from being just another Christian denom denomination, e even in spite of the vocabulary that they use. The problems are more significant than that. They don't believe in the same God. They don't worship the same God. I would go... Uh, I would go further and say they they don't even have the same gospel. It's not a gospel of grace. Uh, upon final analysis, uh, what they believe the gospel to be is a <clears throat> give-and-take relationship between their gods and men. Um, not only that, but it seems like there's a, a doctrine of universalism where all men upon final analysis are going to uh, are going to be redeemed. The word gospel means good news. This is coming from churchofjesuschrist.org. This is their official website. The word gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ has made a perfect atonement for mankind that will redeem all mankind from the grave and reward each individual according to his or her works. This atonement was begun by his appointment in the pre-mortal world, but was worked out by Jesus during his mortal sojourn. Therefore, the records of his mortal life and the events pertaining to his ministry are called the Gospels. The four that are contained in our Bible are presented under the names of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels are not so much biographies as they are testimonies. They do not reveal a day-by-day -day story of the life of Jesus. Rather, they tell who Jesus was, what he said, what he did, and why it was important. Do they really, though? Because if Jesus promised to build his church, Matthew 16, 18, which I'm sure Mormons would agree that he at least said those words, and the church immediately began to have a false doctrine of God, thereby worshiping an idol for the last two millennia, then does the New Testament really, or do the gospel accounts really reveal, do they really believe that they record faithfully the word of Jesus? Um, the records of Matthew, they go on, the records of Matthew, Mark, and Luke present a somewhat similar collection of materials and have considerable phraseology in common, as well as similar main points, and thus are sometimes labeled as the synoptic gospels. Even so, each is unique and has much, has much detail that is not shared by the others. John's record is quite different from the other three in vocabulary, phraseology, and presentation of events. It appears from the internal evidence of each record that Matthew was written to persuade the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. To do so, he cites several Old Testament prophecies and speaks repeatedly of Jesus as the son of David, thus emphasizing his royal lineage. Mark appeals to a Gentile audience and is fast-moving, emphasizing the doings, uh, the doings more than the sayings of the Lord. He occasionally gives geographical and cultural explanations, necessary procedure for non-Jewish readers. Luke offers his readers a polished literary account of the ministry of Jesus, presenting Jesus as the universal Savior of both Jews and Gentiles. He dwells extensively on Jesus' teachings and, doing, and, his, and his doings. Luke is favorable toward the Gentiles and also gives more stories involving women than do the other records. 
John's account does not contain much of the fundamental information that the other records contain, and it is evident that he was writing to members of the church who already had basic information about the Lord. His primary purpose was to emphasize the divine nature of Jesus as the only begotten Son of God in the flesh. Um, so there's a lot more that we could we could read on that, but it gives you an idea of they're affirming, on the one hand, they're affirming the truth of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. On the other hand, they contradict the truth of the Gospels by suggesting that the Scriptures misattribute certain works to certain persons of the Godhead, and not only that, but by suggesting that the Godhead is completely, substantially, and fundamentally different than how the early church understood it to be. Uh, contrary to the early creedal statements, contrary to clear statements in Scripture, um, you know, when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, you know, we're thinking about those uh, statements of unity. Uh, you know, John 10, 30. Uh, when we think about language like that and its substantial identification, what, and, and this is this is one of the things that the early church had to wrestle with because heretics were coming in and were saying, well, Jesus wasn't divine. You know, think of Arius in the fourth century. Um, Jesus, you know, uh, you had the Gnostics, the, the Donatists, and the, uh, the Gnostics, uh, and, and so on. You have all sorts of errors coming in <clears throat> early on, very early on, even the authors of, of the New Testament, you know, you get the idea that in James, James is dealing with some kind of early variation of Gnosticism. So when the early, so the early church was very early on impacted by heretics and were, and, and they were pressed, you know, you can see this in, uh, against heresies, uh, by, uh, Irenaeus and things like that, where the church was, the early church was being pressed to defend its positions concerning what it believed the scriptures taught. And the early creedal statements of the church produced at Nicaea, the Apostles' Creed, um, again, the Athanasian Creed, and the Chalcedonian definition, were responses to this pressure from the heretics and false teachers to really define what Christians believe the scriptures taught. And so when you would run across statements like in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one, on the one hand, you have a substantial statement of identity. Um, you can't get away from that. Um, and in fact, Jesus uh, Jesus contextualizes that statement by identifying his power with that of the Father's. All right? So um, when he says, for example, in... Um, Verse 25, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, my hand, his power, his ableness and willingness to keep. Verse 29, though, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then you have verse 30, I and my Father are one. 
So between verses 28, 29, and 30 of John chapter 10, you have distinction between father and son, but you also have identity of father with son. Not personal identity, because we know that they are personally distinct. But you have substantial identity. What I mean by substantial identity is that they are the same God, the same divine essence. They are not different beings, as the Athanasian Creed says. They are one being in, we know when we talk about the Holy Spirit, in three persons. One divine being subsisting in three persons, or to be more technical, modes of subsistence. Now, that's the language uh, from exegetical and philosophical reflection upon statements like John 10, 25 through 30. How, one of the question, one of the questions of the theologian is, how do you harmonize the text? When you ask the question, how do we harmonize the text? How do we, which is a question like, how do we understand the text? Then automatically you're invited by the text itself to understand the profound reality that on the one hand, the father and son are distinct, on the other hand, they're the same. Now, that's either a logical contradiction, in which case the scriptures would be falsified because God's not going to posit a logical contradiction, which would be automatically false. So it can't be a logical contradiction. It has to be reconcilable. It has to be logical. It has to be true if God said it. So if that's the assumption, it has to be true if God said it, then we're starting to ask the question, in what sense is the Son one with the Father? And in what sense is Father distinct from Son? That's where you get the Trinitarian theological and orthodox reflection of you know the doctrine of the Trinity in the early church. Mormonism, according to its formal documentation, would declare the statement in John 10.30, I and my Father are one, they would either declare it or at least imply it, that it's false. The Father and the Son are two different beings. They're two different gods. We just read that. And so they wouldn't be able to reconcile statements like John 10.30 with other parts of Holy Scripture. In fact, they wouldn't even be able to reconcile John 10.30 by itself with their own system. It doesn't fit. It doesn't coincide with the text. Oddly enough, it seems like they're okay with admitting that there are uh, either uh, counterfactuals in the Bible, things that were revealed to the church but were not true, or things that were revealed to the church but needed so much clarity so as that by the time the Book of Mormon rolls around, it looks like they were never true, uh, you know, in comparison with the Book of Mormon and what it has to say about God and what it has to say about the Son and Jehovah and all that. The problem with that is manifold. Um, on the one hand, you have Jesus promising to build his church, but you have Mormons saying that, or implying at least, that Christians were largely lost for the majority of Christian history. Substantially lost, like wrong, wrong God, idolatry lost. Um. And, and, and so there's, there's just, there's, yeah, there's so much we could go through. So much we could go through here. Um, Mormons have a different God. Mormons have a different gospel. Uh, 
Mormons imply contradictions in the Old and New Testaments of the Holy Scriptures. Uh, Mormons have a completely different cosmology uh, view of the universe um, than Christians do. Uh, they have a completely different view of eschatology and what our chief end is as men in Christ, uh, men and women in Christ. What is our chief end? Well, Christian, the Christian would say to behold God, right? Uh, to be with God. Um, Mormons would say something along the lines of to be your own God, right? And um, so there's, there are differences that are so great between Mormons and historical biblical Christianity that Mormons cannot be rightly said to be Christians, uh, they're not followers of Christ. The Christ that they confess is a different Christ. It's extremely distinct, substantially different from the Jesus of the Bible. So this is, again, this is kind of a primer of what we're going to be doing in our Sunday school. Uh, one of the first cults that I'm going to look at is Mormonism, but uh, this coming Sunday, I'm just going to be introducing the um, the actual series itself, so we're not going to be digging into uh, a, a any particular cult uh, this coming Sunday. So if you guys are <clears throat> familiar with Sermon Audio, you can find our church, Victory Baptist Church, on Sermon Audio. You can either search Victory Baptist Church, Kansas City, Missouri, and find it that way, or you can just search my name, Josh Summer, um, and find it that way, and uh, you'll be able to listen to uh, those uh, Sunday School lessons on Sermon Audio. Hopefully this was helpful just to get you thinking about uh, the profound differences between, you know, we read from the creeds. Those creeds are extremely old. We looked at the text. There's a lot more we could do in the text of Holy Scripture in comparison and contrast with the points that um, the Mormon website here is making. And um, uh, we, we could do that. We could, we could, there's, there's a lot we could go into that we just simply don't have the time to go into here, but hopefully that's helpful. I hope it's helpful in terms of how you can actually use the history of the Christian church in relation to Jesus's promise in, Ma in Matthew 16, 18, as a kind of answer to the Mormon implication that the church was very, very wrong in its doctrine of God, you know, damnably wrong in its doctrine of God for the greater part of two millennia. Um, and so there's some apologetic value here as well. So uh, if that was helpful, you know, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, uh, but share this if it helped you. Maybe it'll help somebody else. God bless. Have a wonderful rest of your day.